Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Erase, Bordering, and Disobedient Knowledge podcast. We are coming to you from the Studio Sosokom at University of Helsinki. My name is Nelly Rotelainen. I'm a PhD researcher for the NOACT project, and here today with me is my colleague, peer and fellow researcher Amira Salehodin. Thanks, Nelly. So I'm Amira, and um, I'm currently a PhD researcher um, in the NOAC project. So the uh, project on intersectional border struggles and disobedient knowledge in activism that was funded by the Academy of Finland from 2018 to 2022. Um, and my part of the project is on racial equality data. So um, or more specifically towards developing racial equality data in Finland um, in the current landscape and challenges surrounding that. That's super interesting. Could you tell the general public what does racial equality data mean? Uh, so racial equality data basically refers to disaggregated data or data that is separated um, you know, to assess the comparative situation of a specific discriminated group or groups of uh, people at risk of discrimination. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about racial equality data, then this data is disaggregated or separated by race. Um, and it's really a method of collecting information on groups at risk of discrimination in an ethical way. And it's used as an equality tool for anti-racist and anti-discrimination legislation. Now, when I when I say, you know, separated by race or disaggregated by race, I'm obviously not speaking about race in a biological way, uh, but more as a socio- sociological construct. Um, so, uh, and I think like I can speak more about this uh, later on in the episode, um, you know, when this comes up. Yeah, definitely. So I'm interested um, to know, and I think that our listeners would like to know why this is important right now. Is racial equality data being gathered in Finland? And if not, why? And why? what, what your research would change hmm. or will change? Thanks for that question, Nelly. Um, I think... I think in Finland and I suppose in a lot of other European countries right now, there is an idea that they are collecting racial equality data. Um, although, you know, some uh, some people would say that, well, no, not really. Um, and the difference um, in this is because there, when it comes to racial equality data, there are specific principles that are attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and these principles are self-identification, voluntary participation, confidentiality of personal data, informed consent, community participation, and the right to choose multiple identifiers. So with with these six racial equality data principles, and if you look at the type of data that is being collected and used at the moment, um, you know, in Finland, um, you, you know, you can see that it's not quite following uh, all of those six principles of racial equality data. And these principles, you know, like I didn't just come up with them, mm-hmm. you know, like this has been um, researched on and this has been, you know, like a, um, this has come about because of ci- the participation of civil society, um, of activists uh, doing this work and has been advocating for racial equality data collection um, in the European member states. So, um, so if you're, the question, you know, like, uh, 
is Finland collecting racial equality data? For me, as a well, <clears throat> as an academic and also as an activist, I would say, well, not really. You know, like um, because at the moment in Finland, the types of data that are being collected uh, or are being used, you know, are the official statistics. So that comes from the population registers that we have. Finland doesn't really do censuses like in other countries. So um, we we just base a lot of the data on population registers. Um, and then there's also, I suppose, discrimination data, um, you know, which can also be used to uh, to sort of like uh, uh, cover or to supplement racial equality data um, and also workplace data. So in terms of recruitment, retention and composition, which actually we don't really have in Finland. <coughs> Excuse me, in a lot of places. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. So, and you know, particularly for um, the population registers that we use, um, and administrative files um, that that we use in Finland. So, this data they rely on proxies. Mm. Okay, so uh, when it comes to the categories that are being used, uh, we. They rely on proxies such as citizenship, country of birth, country of birth of parents, language spoken at home, migration background, um, and maybe even the name, you know, rather than any explicit racial and ethnic categories. And these categories, you know, like um, this, uh, well, quote unquote, colorblind categories, while they may help to sort of approximate racial and ethnic identity groups, they are not precise enough to establish a clear picture of the racial inequalities that exist in Finland, you know. So, um, when you're talking about groups of people who are not seen or perceived as of the majority or dominant uh, white population, you know, like um, after which generation is someone no longer of migrant background, you know? like, um, And how is this sort of reflected in our everyday discourse, legislations, um, official demographic statistics, um, you know, all those sorts of things. So using such euphemistic and color evasive data, it only contributes to further stigmas associated with specific racial and ethnic minority groups, you know, and, and they might even exacerbate ongoing inequalities um, and disparities. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's all very interesting. So to sum up for our researchers who may not be, as uh, our listeners who may not be as familiar with this, what your research would do is give a more accurate picture of the types of discrimination that is race or racism-based in Finland or mm-hmm. this model of collecting data implemented. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just to make it more, um, I suppose, easier to understand because this is definitely one of the questions that always comes up, you know, whenever I talk about my research, you know, when when I talk about like the issues with the current methods of collecting data or the current uh, usage of um, or dependency on, on population registers um, and the categories that are being used there. So because because the categories are migration-based, you know, so someone who is um, born in Finland, um, you know, has uh, finished as their mother tongue, right? Um, they, they, they see their ethnicity as Finnish, you know, having Finnish cultural practices and, and all those kind of stuff, right? 
but they may not be seen or accepted as Finnish and face discrimination based on something such as their skin color, mm. right? So this type of um, so whenever this sort of discrimination happens, this is not reflected in any of the data. Um, yeah. Excellent. So a lot of people in their lived experiences go missing in the current exactly. ways of gathering data. Exactly. Yeah. So that that I think leads very well into this this next question. And I think you talked a little bit about this already. So why is this research impactful and why is it impactful, especially now? Mm. Well, the push for racial equality data has been going on at the European level for quite some time. I think, um, well, I mean, the UK is not part of the EU anymore, but uh, at the moment when when we talk about Europe, you know, like uh, it's really only the UK that, you know, um, that uh, does, you know, what, what people would see as racial equality data in in all the other EU member states, not quite. Um, so the advocate the advocating for racial equality data has been going on for quite some time, and it's because you know like um, having comparable sets of data like disaggregated data, racial equality data is useful in various ways. You know, like um, it informs the designing of effective public policies, so you actually have a baseline against which any changes can be measured and you can use it to assess equality and integration policies um, and then also to be able to monitor the progress of these policies over time um, and also more crucially to provide evidence of systemic and structural discrimination um, in courts. So, um, you know, like the need for racial equality data, like I can't stress how important um, they are and how impactful they would be, you know, in terms of the everyday lives of um, racialized and minoritized groups um, in Finland. So, and I think particularly, you know, with um, with the increased attention on issues of race and racism, especially after the, I suppose, the global resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement in the in 2020, um, to two years ago, you know, like, um, like it just made more apparent um, the lack of data that we have in Finland to, you know, actually talk about the things that we're talking about in a very meaningful way, you know. We can talk about individual narratives and, you know, these single stories, but, you know, when we talk about policies, politicians like numbers, you know. Um, that's how uh, that's how they, they do their policies. They, they want the numbers, they want the statistics, but we don't... So what do we do when we don't have those numbers and statistics? Um, yeah, and, and I would also say, like, um, the COVID pandemic has also... Um, you know, highlighted um, how uh, we don't have that data. Um, so, you know, we know that in other countries, you know, like um, how COVID has um, impacted, you know, like uh, people from racialized backgrounds in particular. Um, but yeah, in Finland, we don't have the numbers to sort of, you know, like um, make the same claims necessarily. Not, but not that it isn't happening. We just don't have the numbers. Exactly, exactly. And those are all very good points. This leads me to think about further practical applications of this. Currently, you mentioned that this would be something that would be carried out on the state level. Is this something, for example, that companies striving to further their 
diversity, equity, inclusion policies or something like the university would do? Or would it be meaningful for like smaller institutions than just the state level to gather this data? Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, I know in, in a, a few other countries in Sweden, for example, like uh, the, the racial equality data collection efforts has started very local. So, you know, it started with um, like one school, for example, or one organization. Um, because oftentimes, like, it's, that's also the easiest um, way to, to do it, I suppose. You know, like, um, uh, you don't have to think about the whole country and having to change, you know, like the whole uh, system of data collection used by a country. Um, so definitely, like, you know, like... Um, Companies and organizations can start doing it, um, can start, you know, collecting racial equality data. Uh, and I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, this data would only benefit them because, you know, as I mentioned, at the moment, we don't have a baseline and there's all this, like, hidden discrimination, you know, that is not brought to light um, because of the lack of data. So, um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it sounds good also. So in your research, Amira, you have kind of, um, I don't want to use the word pioneered, but kind of tried out or developed the methodology of collecting this data with organizations in Finland, or is that something that you are planning on doing? You mentioned the six um, prerequisites that must take place in order for the data to be considered eth ethically gathered. And so in terms of your research, what is like the outcome after you're done mm. I mean we don't know that all. <laughs> as researchers <laughs> no. we don't know but I'm wondering about are, is it does it have to do with how how this would carried out in practice does it provide a model that people could use or does it provide um the kind of data about the discrimination in Finland right now and what is kind of the scope of your research and your like, desired objective mm. so I started doing this research with the objective to you know start collecting the data um myself you know thinking that okay so so my research project would be the pilot um, of this racial equality data collection. Um, however, as you know, as I started on um, the research process and I started talking to more people from the communities, um, you know, I realized that I was maybe jumping, you know, two, three steps ahead. So I, I definitely had to scale back, um, you know, like uh, rethink my research and And what really came up, um, you know, in the initial research process for me was that there were a lot of misconceptions um, uh, that was going around, you know, when it comes to the topic of racial equality data. Um, and, you know, even amongst like anti-racist activists themselves and, you know, like uh, people from the community also. And when I speak about community, you know, like I'm, I'm speaking about uh, communities that are that are, you know, most at risk of discrimination here in Finland. Um, so, you know, um, I had to rethink my research and, and, um, and, you know, be less ambitious, I suppose. So now, you know, I'm not really going out to, you know, do this pilot um, of the actual collection of data, but it's really to, um, you know, get an understanding of the, conceptualizations of race and racism um you know on these topics um uh, on you know like racial equality data collection um you know and and what's what's actually the understanding behind certain legislation and policies and the collection of these statistics 
um, through the population registers. Um, you know, because all of these, they are, you know, we, we tend to think of, of these as uh, fixed um, sort of institutions, but all of these state practices, you know, they are constructed, you know, like someone at some point thought, okay, this is how we should collect the data. You know, um, this is how we should go about doing things. Uh, this is how we should address race and racism and discrimination in Finland. And so they design um, certain practices and ways of collecting data um, to support, you know, whatever legislation and policies um, that they they wanted to to implement, right? Um, so really my role right now is to sort of question this, you know, like I suppose that's that's also the role of a researcher, no? Um, to question everything, um, problematize everything. Um, so, so yeah, so that is what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm really questioning uh, some of the practices that are being done surrounding the, the collection of data, particularly when it comes to issues of inequalities and discrimination uh, of racialized minorities in Finland. It, it sounds very interesting. It sounds to me that you are kind of scoping out the current field and landscape mm. and then in that also making space for this. And mm. I think that your point about questioning the fixed notions of what is the government is such a fixed entity that whatever the government does sometimes is considered like the be all end all of that. So I think mm. that you being the um, researcher who comes with the with the problematizing and the questions is really important. And then you're also kind of like, yeah, like I said, making space for them, for, for them to the, the data to be gathered and providing an example of why it's necessary. And I think that what you said also about the um, tracking kind of the current conceptions around race and racism is also really important because you're kind of then setting the parameters for gathering that data mm-hmm. by defining or, or looking at the existing definitions around that because if they're not defined or if they're not problematized, your data will, the, the collected data will then also show that, I think. Mm. Yeah, and um, and also at the same time as I'm, you know, like questioning and problematizing all of these concepts, um, I'm also in conversation, uh, you know, with uh, community groups, um, you know, also to to find out what are their thoughts on racial equality data, and you know, like, um, you know, if we were to start collecting racial equality data, what are some of the categories? that they would identify with because um, as I mentioned before, one of the principles of racial equality data is self-identification. Um, so what are the categories that, you know, that they would feel comfortable uh, self-identifying with? So that's an exploration um, that I'm trying to do through my research as well. That's, yeah, I think that's super interesting because I think it will, and I'm just um, hypothesizing here, but I think it will also bend and, and um, in, enlarge in the, the definitions of what we count as Finnishness and really problematize mm. that mm. Um, category um, in interesting ways. I'm thinking about the U.S., for example, where there are people identify as Asian American, for example, or mm. what kind of, how can we trouble the fixed notion of Finnishness as something that is inherently white and inherently mm. speaking Finnish in a certain way, for example. Exactly. And it's important, um, you know, because it involves a community. So that was another principle of racial equality data, like a community participation. Um, and it's it's also important in the larger scheme of things because, you know, this is something that would then come out of the communities themselves rather than something that is imposed by the state. 
Exactly. Um, so, you know, that is a very crucial element for me um, in terms of racial equality data. So it sounds to me that um, in this, your research being in the context of disobedient knowledge, that's definitely one of the aspects of your research that could be counted as disobedient knowledge, being disobedient towards definitely. the state yeah. <laughs> and empowering the community. Mm. Do you want us to speak more about that, the role of disobedience and disobedient knowledge on your research? Yeah, I think as you mentioned, you know, like... Um, I think, yeah, the whole project is about being disobedient towards what is the status quo, right? Um, what is assumed to be the norms, um, especially when it comes to Finnishness um, and things like that. Um, and I think also, you know, just because it's a it's a participatory action research, you know, and I'm really involving the communities throughout the research process, you know, this idea that, you know, so most of the time, communities like this racialized, minoritized communities, and even myself, you know, I consider myself as part of, of these communities. Um, like we are often the ones being researched on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're never really given the driver's seat, you know. Um, so to be able to do this research um, and, you know, in a way, legitimize the knowledges that are being produced um, by our communities, I think that's, uh, you know, that's also another form of disobedient knowledge, you know, that we are really also questioning and problematizing, um, yeah, these ideas of, you know, what is legitimate knowledge, uh, what is academic knowledge, you know, um, and who are the experts of our lives, you know, like we are the experts of our own lives. Um, so, yeah, I think um, for sure, like uh, that is one aspect. Um, that is another aspect of, of this obedient knowledge in my research. Definitely. And it sounds like it permeates your entire research project, the the um, the methodology of participatory action research, but then also what you said, taking the driver's seat and then also legitimizing that knowledge. So I think it entangles itself also very well with theory mm. and and puts itself at a very prosperous crosshairs with with university. <laughs> and that's that's great. So would you like to say if somebody is interested in doing similar research, uh, what they could learn from your work? Um, well, <laughs> this is this is a tough one in a way. Um, well, I, I suppose the, the thing that I can say is to, you know, like, um, to be patient because this this is going to take a long time, you know, like I'm not going to be able to change the world or, you know, like change things in Finland just through this one PhD, you know, this is, and I mean, like, that is the dream, of course, you know, of every of course. <laughs> academic, of course, but um, yeah, realistically, you know, like, um, like I, yeah, I don't think that would be the case because we're talking about deep, deeply embedded structures and systems that are in place, you know, and it's going to take a lot of effort um, to change those systems and structures. Um, and I think just also in terms of, you know, being open enough and flexible enough to uh, change course so you know as before I mentioned that like I had a specific idea of what I wanted to do when setting out um, to do this research but you know through my conversations um, with the communities you know um, like I, I realized that I needed to change course and and that's okay um, and I think it's it's a it's more of a good thing that you know I was able to pause and reflect and take a step back 
um, and reevaluate what is actually needed. Um, you know, uh, at that point, and I think like this idea of what is actually needed by the communities. So uh, rather than like my own agenda as a researcher, um, I think that is some that is something that I think more researchers should have. Um, yeah. Definitely. And that also, I think that that kind of, so much research is driven by kind of wanting to get it done, I think. Yeah. And the pace is fast and this kind of like idea of slow research and this kind of um, idea of really evaluating the community's needs and how you can help and how mm-hmm. can your position as an academic bring something to the table that that is there because of your context and because of your your position is is really important. I think that absolutely... It's something that academics should see more of Mm. and pause and think. So as we wrap up this episode with Amira, we've been hearing about equality data and how it's what it is and how it would be impactful right now and why we need it and what Amira is doing in her research. Amira, is there something you'd like to say about what you plan to do next in terms of your research before we finish up today? Um, Yeah, I think just to sort of uh, connect to, you know, what you said, I mean, the previous episode, Nelly, you know, like uh, in terms of um, like funding opportunities, you know, like as you said, uh, there is this idea that, you know, with research, we we need to get certain things done. And that's because, you know, of our funding situation that we're tied to certain um, funding bodies and there are certain obligations uh, in a specific amount of time. Um through those funding, um, yeah, through through those funding uh, opportunities. Um, I mean, currently I'm doing this unfunded, um, you know, and and uh, and it's definitely not something that's easy to do. Uh, to do a whole PhD research unfunded while working full time and and things like that. Um, and you know, there's something there's something that I also want to bring up. I mean, you you talked about um, you know. Like this is not about resilience and, and that is really something, you know, that has come up all the time whenever, you know, I speak about um, like inequalities at the academic level in academia as well. Um, you know, the, the limited funding opportunities um, and the, the advice that, oh, you just need to be resilient um, and somehow everything will fall into place. Um, and... I suppose this is also me questioning and problematizing everything again. But, you know, like we know that discrimination exists like uh, in when when um, especially people from racialized, minoritized backgrounds try to look for jobs in Finland, for example. There's been so many research on that. And I mean, I'm just putting it out there, but like there's no research that has been done on, you know, like um, who gets the funding, like uh, who's like, I mean why would funding bodies not be, you know, uh, why would they be exempt from this idea that there is discrimination um, within their structures, you know? So um, that might be something controversial to say, um, but I think, you know, it hasn't, but I think it's also important to um, say it out loud because nobody else is saying it out loud. Um, and yeah. So, absolutely. I don't know if that answered my questions, your questions about my next steps, but uh, well, my next steps, immediate next steps is to get funding and to actually push for for this research to go on because I think it's uh, an absolutely important research to do in Finland. Um, and I'm saying that because it's my research and, you know, I might be biased, but like it's also the feedback that I've gotten from people on it. 
Um, so yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I look forward to you getting funding and I really hope that you do. And I think that your vantage point is someone who has an understanding of what is happening on the European level in terms of anti-racist efforts and organizing and that you understand better than anyone else the importance of this research. And, and I think that it, your research project is very well designed and should get funding in case someone is listening to this and the questions you bring up about discrimination. Um, to end up this podcast, I want to thank you for being my colleague for the past two years on this project and also our other colleagues who will you, you will hear more about as this podcast progresses. Thank you. Thank you, Nelly. Thank you.